just what does a film producer do? Between line producers, associate producers and executive producers, it's a very grey area. Producers themselves see the film from the script's development through to raising the money, hiring the cast and crew, and sometimes at the movie's premiere, they get mistaken for someone important. You see, the public only care about stars and directors, but producers? Most of the time, they're the poor huddled creatures living just one block away from poverty. I'm serious. They are self-employed entrepreneurs seeking the most elusive of entities, a box office hit. Most of the time, they just survive on their dreams. A line producer, on the other hand, is someone who oversees the day-to-day -day operations of the film, keeping an eye on the progress of the production and also the expenses as they add up. An associate producer, well, as Billy Wilder famously quipped, an associate producer is someone who is prepared to associate with the producer. But executive producers, take Dick Tracy. This is a private club, copper. You got a membership card? Do you? I own it! Since when? Today. I made a deal with Lips. Lips? Where is he? I don't know. Must have left town or something. Well, that's a coincidence. My new girl, Breathless Mahoney, meet Dick Tracy. Released in the summer of 1990, the live-action adaptation of Chester Gould's comic strip character had been in development for no less than 15 years. And in that time, the film rights were bought and sold by at least half a dozen producers who each struggled to get a handle on a script that they could bring to the studios. It went from United Artists to Paramount to Universal before eventually ending up at Disney. Along the way, one of the producers was Art Linson, whose CV includes such great films as The Untouchables, Heat and Fight Club. Linson acquired the property in 1977 and toiled for six years before finally admitting defeat and passing the property on to someone else. In other words, the last contact, creative or otherwise, that Art Linson had with Dick Tracy ended in 1983, a full seven years before eventually the great Warren Beatty produced, directed and starred in a summer blockbuster that turned out to be a great piece of pop art. But if you look at the credits, Art Linson is listed there as executive producer. Yet, he never once met with Beatty to discuss the project. He never set foot on the set, nor did he even view any of the dailies while filming. The first time Linson saw the film was at its premiere in May of 1990. How did this happen? Well, there's little point in asking Linson himself, because even he doesn't know. Or maybe he does know, and he's not telling. In which case, I'll say this. He has very good lawyers who make sure that all his contracts are ironclad. Anyway, that's all to introduce the entirely understandable, but no less intriguing manner by which Kevin Smith ended up getting a credit on Goodwill Hunting, a movie he neither produced, directed, nor wrote, or even rewrote for that matter. I've spoken to the judge. And he's agreed to release you, under my supervision. Really? Yeah. But under two conditions. What are those? First condition is that you meet with me every week. What for? Go with the proof you're working on and get into some more advanced 
Combinatorial mathematics. Finite math. Sounds like a real hoot. And the second condition is that that you see a therapist. <laughs> and I'm responsible to submit reports yeah. on this. <laughs> and if you fail to meet with any of those conditions, you will have to serve time. All right, I'll do the math, but I'm not going to meet with any fucking therapist. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had been friends since childhood, when they grew up two blocks apart in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Both started getting bit parts in films, with Affleck landing small but memorable roles in such films as Dazed and Confused and School Ties. Damon also had a small role in School Ties and delivered another small but memorable performance in Courage Under Fire. However, both of them sensed that if they were to ever really stand any chance of breaking into the upper echelons of the casting circle, they would have to write a screenplay as a star vehicle for themselves. I'll get back to Kevin Smith in a minute, but before that, it is worth noting that Affleck and Damon were taking their cue from Sylvester Stallone, whose acting career was at best next to nowhere before he sat down and wrote this movie. When the script, which he knocked off in three days, attracted the attention of producers Irvin Winkler and Robin Chartoff, Stallone insisted that if they really wanted his script, they would have to cast him in the lead. They agreed, and the rest is history. Okay, now hang on. Kevin Smith is arriving in a minute. So, Affleck and Damon wrote the script and it quickly attracted the attention of Castle Rock Entertainment, the production company run by Rob Reiner, that was responsible for such fine pictures as When Harry Met Sally, Misery, The Shawshank Redemption and In the Line of Fire. Castle Rock loved the script, but things began to sour when they suggested Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt for the leads. Affleck and Damon dug in. They had not written Goodwill Hunting only to see other established actors take their parts. Hang on, sir. You're a first year grad student. You just got finished reading some Moxian historian, Pete Garrison, probably. You're going to be convinced of that till next month when you get to James Lemon. Then you're going to be talking about how the economies of Virginia and Pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist way back in 1740. That's going to last until next year. You're going to be in here regurgitating Gordon Wood talking about, you know, the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital forming effects of military mobilization. Well, as a matter of fact, I won't because Wood drastically underestimates the impact Wood of social... Wood drastically underestimates the impact of social distinctions predicated upon wealth, especially inherited wealth. You got that from Vickers. Work in Essex County, page 98, right? Yeah, I read that too. Were you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? Do you have any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own, as your own idea, just to impress some girls, embarrass my friend. Now here comes Kevin Smith. At the time, both Affleck and Damon were appearing in Smith's romantic comedy, Chasing Amy. Smith, who had broken into the movie industry with his ultra-low-budget Clerks, had secured a multi-picture production deal with Miramax. And hanging out with Affleck and Damon, Smith learned that Castle Rock was playing hardball with his two buddies. So he presented the script to the executives at Miramax, stating very clearly 
that Affleck and Damon wrote it with the express intention of their starring in it. Miramax promptly bought out Castle Rock and when the movie went into production, Smith was credited as executive producer, a just reward for his kindness and loyalty in helping his friends up the ladder. How's your lady? Ah, she's gone. Gone, gone where? Uh, med school, medical school in California. Really? Yeah. When was this? It's like a week ago. Well, that sucks. So, uh, when are you done with those meetings? Like the week after I'm 21. Yeah, they gonna hook you up with a job or what? Yeah, if I can sit in a room and do long division for the next 50 years. Yeah, probably make some nice bank though. Gonna be a fucking lab rat. Better than this shit. Way out of here. I want a way out of here for. I mean, I'm gonna fucking live here the rest of my life. You know, be neighbors. You know, we'll have little kids. Fucking take them a little league together up Foley Field. Look, you're my best friend, so don't take this the wrong way. In 20 years, if you're still living here, coming over to my house to watch the Patriots game, still working construction, I'll fucking kill you. That's not a threat. What? That's a fact. I'll fucking kill you. But the oddity surrounding the film's production does not end there. For some reason, obviously motivated by jealousy, a rumor swept around Hollywood that Affleck and Damon did not write the script, that it was in fact written by William Goldman, the two-time Oscar winner of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men, and not to mention the truly sublime The Princess Bride. The rumour gained traction because, when the project was still at Castle Rock, Rob Reiner, who had directed The Princess Bride, asked Goldman to read the script with a view to presenting some notes. Goldman did so and made one suggestion. At that stage, the script had a thriller subplot where the CIA were trying to chase down the genius mathematician Will Hunting. Goldman's opinion was that the story between Will and his counsellor Dr Sean Maguire offered far greater emotional ballast. Reiner passed on that one suggestion and Affleck and Damon made the changes themselves. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are, because I read Oliver Twist? And as if that were not enough, Affleck and Damon then met with Terence Malick. Not with a view to Malick directing, but just to sound him out on the story. Over dinner, Affleck and Damon outlined it to him, and just like Goldman, Malick made one suggestion. Adjust the ending. As Affleck and Damon had outlined it, Will and his girlfriend Skylar left town together. Malik made the point that it would be a lot better 
if Skylar left earlier and of her own volition. And the ending had Will leaving town to go after her and to try to rekindle a relationship. I just wanted to, you know, uh, call you up uh, before you left. Um, You're taking all these uh, job interviews and stuff, so I'm not going to be just a construction worker. Well, you know, I never really cared about that. Yeah. I love you. Well. You take care. Someone's always coming around here, trailing in some new Goodwill Hunting is a very warm picture. Tough in places, sensitive in others, always carefully tended to under the watchful direction of Gus Van Zandt, it explores several intricate ways in which men express their feelings. And I think that is the key to understanding the dynamics of the film. Above all, it is a love story, or rather a series of love stories between men. Between Will and his best friend Chucky, between Dr. Sean McGuire and his former college mate, Professor Gerald Lambeau, and most evidently between Will and his counsellor, Dr. McGuire. Those love stories move from anger to happiness, from acrimony to respect, from rejection to acceptance, and finally from fear to hope, and show how the men learn to be kind to one another. Hey, Will. See this? Holy shit. This is not your fault. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. I know. It's not your fault. I know. No, no. with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean, not you. It's not your fault. <laughs> Such deftness and originality are but two of the many reasons why Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were worthy winners of the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay at the 70th Academy Awards. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs>